Okay, and welcome to Project Canary. In today's episode, we have Kathy and Andrea from BC COVID School Trackers joining us once again. Welcome, Kathy and Andrea, joining Crystal and I. Um, did you know that your show, the last time you were our guest, that mm -hmm. is the highest like listened to podcast in our series? It's wow. had yeah, it's had over two hundred eighty-seven listens. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm flattered. <laughs> I I don't know. It's obviously hot hot topic, right? Hot hot topic. Hot topic. So wants to know and they want to hear the hear all the tea being spilt on what's yeah. going on. I suppose. So I guess let's bring on more tea then. All right, let's start with Crystal's situation report summary. Yes. So I sent the newsletter out on Saturday. I will say that of all the newsletters I've been working on, this one has been the most concerning for me in terms of looking at the numbers and what I've seen. So we do know that we have over 4,000 variant cases as of Friday, um, but we will no longer be sequencing them for the purposes of telling us what those proportions are anymore, from what I'm aware. Um, it's just going to be essentially screening all of them to tell us if there's a variant that's part of it. And then they're going to just be looking to see how the genome is changing now to be trying to keep track of that. So I really want to put that into understanding that we, although we received variant numbers on Friday, eventually that's going to discontinue. They still have numbers because they were tracking this for a while. They just made this change. But pretty soon, we're no longer going to have accurate variant numbers. So that's just something to be aware of and something that is out of line with other jurisdictions. Um, I also want to note that we've had a statement made by Adrian Dix, or was it Dr. Bonnie Henry? I'm not sure about school being safer for children. They may have actually both said it over the last week. And I wanted Bonnie, to give some... Dr. Bonnie Henry definitely said it. Okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to give a clear stat that raises the question to me of how that statement can be said. So from March 2020 to September 10th, 2020, when kids were mostly at home or they were in half classes following the phased approach that we thought they would be taking, we had 532 children in BC that became infected with COVID. So that's, you know, a six, seven month period. Mm -hmm. Since September 10th, when school opened to now, which is April, or sorry, April 9th, when I had these last numbers or of the situation report, so probably end of March, we've had 14,555 BC children become infected with COVID-19. 10 to 15% of those children will likely get long COVID-19. So they can oh. tell us that there is no in-school transmission, but the fact is, is that even when there was social contact over the summer and they were out and about, even when there were people in classrooms from May to June at half capacity and doing the things they should be doing, we only saw few cases. So I agree. During that period, there probably was limited in-school transmission. The cases clearly show since school has reopened to full-time in-person learning, cases among children have gone up. It does not matter if it reflects community transmission or not. More kids are getting sick. Fewer kids got sick 
when we had lockdown and when we had half capacity classes. End of story. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So any thoughts from you guys in me giving you those numbers? Um, I'm just quickly doing the math here. And, and 10 to 15% of 14,555 kids who have become infected roughly equates to about 2,100 plus children. So that's 2,100 mm-hmm. plus children in our province right now that have had, that are going to develop long COVID and, or MISC that is the the guarantee statistics and I just find that disgusting more kids are going to be getting sick so this is why I want to talk about the last situation report so if we look at the COVID cases per capita so that's per 100,000 it was previously 84 in the 15 to 19 group in week 11 it jumped to 138 in week 12 of the situation report And under 15, in the situation report said, in quotations, highest since start of the pandemic, but did not provide the values again. They have been continuing to not give us the per capita rate for children under 15 in the last few situation reports. Positivity rate is going up dramatically across all areas. Vancouver Island went from 1.5% to 5.4%. Vancouver Coastal from 10.1 to 14.9. Northern Health from 16.1 to 16.7. Interior to from 4.2 to 6.9. And Fraser from 10.1 to 12.5%. And we have a BC positivity rate of 12%. As of the last situation report... 39.25% of the cases were unaccounted for and unknown where exposure was. So that's kind of where we're at with data. And I think that's a good overview of where we're at. And it's not anywhere good. Wow. It's just like we're completely blind. Like we're operating blind. Said 39%. We don't know where they're from. At the time of the situation report and... Obviously, they'll find some after that, but cases have been getting added to days after the fact. Sometimes 200 cases get dropped on a day, so we see things like that. Um, But also the 39%, that amount has been increasing subsequently over the months I've been doing the newsletter. I've seen it increase from, Mm -hmm. you know, 29% or 20% up to almost 40% now. Right. She used to say that we were tracking 80 to 90% of those cases, but not counting almost 40 yeah we're in a big problem and we have you know almost 10,000 active cases and 15,000 now in isolation that's scary and a lot of that we know is the whistler and big white cluster right because Mm -hmm. teachers aren't getting vaccinated I don't know what's going on with whistler because we now have the note that because of how bad the apparent outbreak is which I thought was contained last we heard that (laughs) they are now vaccinating again on Whistler after saying that teachers and frontline responders and staff have to be patient. Yeah. They, now they've pushed them back behind the vaccination campaign in Whistler. That's concerning. And yeah, I'm sure they, the taxpayers didn't pay for this or vote for this. Like, and we on. know 
you know, mm-hmm. from people who were involved that there were several schools, private schools that had parties up at Whistler during that time period. It's seeded to other areas and they're vaccinating them right now. And I guarantee you it's so that they can reopen on the 19th and let Whistler go back at it. Yeah, I'm sure that's the plan. Uh, it's it's we definitely have a, an increase in 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 the school sector, like you said, those that sort of uh, seeding from those Whistler parties into a lot of the independent schools. Um, it's we we even got another exposure today, like at St. George's. We know that's one of the schools that it got impacted by this, and uh, we know that uh, a school like West Point Gray. Um, the principal sent out a letter saying at least 20 cases, um, exposures. We don't know if there are 20 confirmed uh, sick individuals from the school. We just said that 20, 20 families are impacted. And then we heard from families saying it's closer to 30. So yeah. it's growing. It spreads very quickly. And, and we're uh, not testing more. Let's be clear. Our testing has remained static. We're not testing anymore with these huge positivity rates, which usually would be an indicator to do more testing, but we've chosen not to do that. We are so blind right now. We are so blind and continuing to operate as if everything is normal. I mean, (laughs) New Brunswick today just announced they're shutting down. Nine cases. Nine cases. And they're all moving to online learning. This is New Brunswick. Way to go, New Brunswick. Uh, we have yep. thousands of cases here in BC, which we're going to hear about in a second from Andrea and Kathy. And school is still going to continue as if everything's fine. And um, we need yep. to be clear that more, more and more doctors sounded the alarm over the weekend about ICUs being beyond capacity. Critical care nurses confirmed to me that some patients in BC have been in hospitals there are things going on and we know that because the situation report showed us that when bonnie henry was telling us that the hospitalizations were not increasing that was a lie we saw in the last situation report that it jumped to 200 hospitalizations per week it was changing and they didn't tell us who knows what the hell is going on because now we also know and they confirmed what we talked about last time that they take them off the list in the hospital and in ICU when they no longer test positive, not when they leave the hospital. As I said, they're truncating the data. And on top of that, the, the doctors have been issued a gag order for yes, not... you know, they're getting threatened. Yes. So they're now they're censoring the doctors as well as the teachers. Like what? This is not public health <sighs> management. You are censoring people who are trying to sound the alarm arm well, madness oh well they're just whelmed so whelmed <laughs> you know i i mean i can't imagine being the the nurses and the staff that she met with the previous weekend and they heard her go up there and say that they're whelmed <laughs> I, i'm pretty sure that's not the word they used yeah i don't i don't think that is the word mm. and and then now we don't have enough testing we are not prioritizing our frontline workers and our teachers anymore for vaccinations. And can I ask the big question, guys? What about our second dose? I've been looking <laughs> at our BC plan for vaccinations. There is no mention of a second dose in and any the second, of the language. Those ones haven't, they haven't been changing those numbers either. It's no. been static for a while. So I don't, because people are due for their second dose yes. right now. 
and nothing's happening. And nothing's been rescheduled for a lot of people. Like, where's the second dose? Like, in their wording, there is no guaranteeing the BC public that they're getting a second dose. There's no mention of a second dose. There's no scheduling for a second dose. And let's be very clear. We cannot assume that this government is going to act in good faith anymore in taking care Bonnie of the Henry public. Bonnie Henry mentioned, she, and I said this last time, she mentioned five to six months as a delay and whether that would be something that they would be looking at. So I'm interested to see what she has to say in the coming weeks and whether she extends this because NASI has really been saying that yes we've extended it but we should be going for the second dose as close as we can we still have the issues with older individuals having lower vaccine effectiveness and the variants just start a whole new game right right. and Pfizer Moderna is already saying hey don't push with the with the extending the second dose the manufacturers are saying don't do it because guess what you will create more variants Right? Dr. Fauci said don't do it. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Fauci has been on several times recently saying he does not recommend extending the second dose, that it impacts the efficacy of the uh, of the vaccine. And it and it can this I, I saw a post today with, with him saying that it can cause other uh, mutations. Um, to form Mm -hmm. and um, and will they be vaccine resistant look I'm not uh, by any stretch of the means uh, an epidemiologist or a doctor I just I'm listening to the scientists um, contradicting a lot of the information and um, yeah it's we're just sort of at the mercy and and nobody even our family we have family in Israel that have had both their doses yeah and uh, they asked us over a Zoom chat, uh, you know, my husband thankfully got his first dose. He is diabetic, so he was invited by Coastal Health, and uh, um, he's considered a high risk of death. It said on the website, if you he's on insulin, he's at high risk for death if he um, doesn't get uh, the vaccine. So there was a lot of tears of of just relief knowing that he got one dose. But they said, well, we'll see you in July, August until he gets his second dose. Um, it's they can't guarantee anything right now. They don't even know. No. That's the thing. And they're not saying that, which is the our problem. Family, our family in Israel looked at us kind of like, what? You're, how long are you waiting? This is, they, they were just dumbfounded at the fact that we were in this situation. It's just that we don't, we don't make it on our own so- soil. We're reliant on other countries to give us these, these doses. And this is just, uh. Well, we're on the trajectory now to bypass the United States in terms of per capita cases, in terms of Canada. And I want to be clear that Fauci is warning them not to do that. And they are mass vaccinating compared to us. They are drastically ahead of us in terms of their vaccination campaign. So the fact that they're worried should very much worry us considering where we're at. We've only fully vaccinated as in two dose 1.7 percent that i'm aware of i don't know how much moderna plays into that or astrazeneca now for one doses so hopefully they'll start separating that so we know which which is part of two doses and which is part of one dose now my friends in their mid-30s in the united states have already received their two doses and they drive doing a drive-through and they stick their arm out in the car and they just get their jabs just like that and it's, and it's so fast and right through stabbing yeah <laughs> it's awesome so i guess so kathy and andrea 
since we've seen you last and we're talking about how bad things have been getting, maybe you can tell us about what it's been like on the school end for you. Oh, Andrea. <laughs> we're going next. Oh. It's, yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty nutty in there. Um, we were talking about this earlier that... It used to be we could kind of keep on top of the messages as they came in. We'd, we'd put them into the system and we'd do one and then we'd move to the next one down. And every so often we get a new one on top. And just today I was looking at it and I'm trying to put one in and I'm watching three or four pile up above the one I'm working on. And I'm going, oh, there's more. And it used to be we would check and they'd be doubles and we still get a few doubles. But most of them are different schools, different different exposures. Yeah, we're definitely trying to streamline our workflow. It's uh, it's become quite cumbersome. So we did do a post recently um, just asking people to help us, you know, to check yeah. the database before they send in an exposure notice and just punch in the name of the school and see if we have it. Uh, because, you know, uh, they'll send us an, and of course we have to check because we don't know. I mean, it's even Andrew and I will input schools and we're like, did we did we put that one in? There's just so many. That and mm-hmm. every day leads into the next day. It's like Groundhog Day. It's like that we know uh, we've got this school. Oh, it's this school again. It all sounds familiar because we just keep we're on autopilot and repeat. So we're, we're never sure we could have put that school in 10 minutes ago. And we're like, did we put that one in? I think we did. And we could be remembering a school we put in two days ago. It's yeah. they're just everything is bleeding into each other. So it really helps us when people peek on the website database just check and then go okay they don't have it i'll send it in um it just takes every every time we have to do that it it might seem like seconds but you add that up to hundreds of messages that we have to check that's hours and hours of work that it equates to so that that's been hard but no we're drowning we are literally drowning and uh, we've been up till midnight longer uh just trying to go through the messages put in the data and what are you hearing from parents and teachers right now they're terrified they're really really scared they're they you thought they were scared before they are they are terrified it's worse so much worse and they find that um that the behavior of the schools themselves and the protocols the covid protocols that they had in place prior hasn't really changed and the variants play and in the states my understanding is the protocol is a much longer isolation period for variants and they're still saying monitor for symptoms even though a variant exposure occurred and they're not being told they're only telling specific groups to isolate but because this is so much more transmissible and we could see other places other countries handling Mm -hmm. it so much more um responsibly and diligently and we're still kind of doing this like oh just monitor and they're still saying what andrea this this really irks you what what does it say in the letter that irks you so much (laughs) well there's lots in there but one one of my least favorite is the the droplets Mm -hmm. no it says says this is spread by droplets you must can't coughing sneezing distance i think it's been six months hasn't it since they they made that shift and People realize that it's not just droplets, but every health authority, they're one of the versions of the letter just says droplets. And it doesn't help that people associated with who go around spreading that bullshit. So 
Exactly. But the thing is, is the Health Canada and BCCDC is so now scientifically, scientifically out of step with the CDC in the U.S. because the U.S. does now acknowledge aer- aerosolization of the virus and they acknowledge that COVID is airborne. Right. Because <laughs> the only time it agreed with them is when fucking Trump was in office. Exactly. That's the only time our policy agreed with them. I Think know. about that. I know. Think about that, people. Yeah, I know. And then now Biden has come in and he has reassessed the situation. He has made teacher environments safer because his wife, Dr. Biden, you know, she cares about the teachers. And so the CDC has updated their recommendations for safety since the Biden administration has taken over. And but they max vaccinate the teachers. Yes, and they max vaccinate teachers. They vaccinated them with priority vaxes because they're frontline workers. Canada has yet to acknowledge that COVID is airborne. Dr. Dave Feisman is still fighting daily with these people who insist that they're, that it's not airborne, even though now there's more data on SARS-CoV-2 than there is on measles, and we know measles transmits via airborne. So, so it's complete logic. It's politics because they don't want to pay for masks. It's it is. They very don't want to clear. pay for masks. It's the same shit that Bonnie, doc, sorry, Dr. Bonnie Henry, since the government apparently says we now have to call them by their designations apparently in their no, new social media policy. Um, she did this in Toronto with SARS. She did this in Toronto with SARS. Literally the same thing. The nurses sued her for the same thing thing because she would not recognize this type of transmission they could not get the supplies they needed at the end of the day we cannot separate the fact that our health policy is inherently interwoven with politics right now and failing to recognize that is just you know refusing to recognize what is going on clearly Clearly, we can't pretend that we live in this world that politics don't come into our health decisions because the marginalized communities are the ones carrying this on their back right now because we have the opportunity to stay at home and they don't. That is why we're here. So if the government is going to say that it's for all BC citizens, it needs to get off its ass and start giving supports to those people that are in those situations. We have the means. We know how to do it. We know what these people need and we're still not doing it. No, and it's because the policy that it's based on is fundamentally and ideologically based on fascist ideology. It's based on the Great Barrington Declaration, which is essentially economy over lives, right? This is when Trump, it was was the same Trumpian policy about letting the virus wash over the masses. It was revealed in Bob Woodward's rage, right? In the in the novel Rage, where he interviewed Donald Trump and yep. and he admitted that he knew how deadly this virus was and he knew it was a plague. And yet yep. he downplayed it. And now there's new evidence that came out this week about how there's a, a senator co- Senate committee in, in the U.S. now investigating on the political influ- influence of, of um, the CDC. And they discovered that Trump aides were actually altering the CDC reports. Of downplaying course. the virus and and but the thing is leadership and leadership has consequences right so now the bccdc is following this faulty scientific report saying that it's not 
airborne transmission transmissible well, and it's very similar to what the uk and the sweden and sweden are doing and who did she reference all of the first year and who is she referencing all of our second year sweden and the uk except sweden recognized what it did was horrific and ended up killing a bunch of people which we did also in our second wave why are we not learning why are we not learning why are we not learning we're doing the same thing we were doing a year ago. Literally, we are doing the same thing. It's, it's, Except it's, there's it's, now 15,000 children that have been infected since schools reopened. Isn't that mind-boggling? Yeah. 15,000 There's more kids. younger people. More younger people in the mm-hmm. hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, And that's the positivity it. rate among the 10 to 14 group, 20%. It was the same as the 20 to 39 groups. Kids... This are having the same rate no this is this is a red alert moment like we were always on high alert but now like i said the playing field has changed i know um having these variants at play has to change i mean that changed or the response has to change it wasn't a good response before but now we're in a we're in a major state thought it was emergency before now it's it's like i don't I, I just feel like I'm deeper and deeper in Twilight Zone mode. Yes. Ever. And when you vaccinate the people that have been the troublemakers and ended up seeding a bunch of shit, you're not exactly reinforcing that people need to follow the rules. Because now Whistler's getting vaccinated again after all of this crap. And they're probably going to be allowed to reopen. What have you told to all of those people who are fighting the restrictions right now or fighting these things? That there's really not a problem because you'll sweep up the mess. And yet the and you teachers know, are left holding the bag and the parents are. And the, when- and the workers who get sick and all of those things, right? Like the businesses make money. The workers are the ones that are paying with their time, with loss of wages, with loss of life, with loss of health. They are the ones paying for this because they can't go anywhere. We can't blame the workers that that have come here and didn't expect COVID to come. They don't have the money to live. We don't have the social supports in place to help them. There's no option for them, but we are allowing this as a society, as an economy. We're allowing this. Kathy? I was saying one thing we've been hearing a lot from uh, teachers is that, and just school staff, that they've been going to these vaccine sites hoping to get a vaccine where there's like leftovers at the end of the day. There's a few doses remaining and they've mm-hmm. gone and and they've been told. So there was one, one story we heard was a teacher went and got a vaccine. The, the um, nurse or doctor who was administering the vaccines at that time had said, you know, she said, oh, I have teacher friends that haven't gotten vaccinated. And, and they said, well, tell them to come down at the end of the, like, she was instructed to let them know about it. Yeah. So she did. She told a few of her colleagues, they went down and uh, there was a few doses remaining. And they all, all sort of the people at the clinic were talking, like, do we give them the shot? Do we not give them the shot? And then basically, I guess the supervisor comes over and says, no, we've been told not to give teachers the vaccine is what we've heard. Again, anecdotal information, you know, this is just what And what's why just teachers? They were told it not might... to vaccinate teachers? What? Well, yeah, and if she said that, and Dr. Henry answered that on at the press conference. She said yeah, yeah. vaccine hunters don't go there and teachers won't be allowed to get it, essentially. 
Yeah, but yeah. we've heard that same story multiple times, right? Like it's that's the thing with the anecdotal, like like what we talked about last time. When it's anecdotal, but it's only anecdotal to a certain extent because once you've heard the same story so many times, it goes from being anecdotal to kind of being unofficially accurate. <laughs> yeah, and we yeah. cannot be in a system where the government gets to say whatever it wants and we ignore lived experience of the marginalized communities. That's exactly why we're in this place in the first place. That's exactly what we were doing wrong that let us get here. We have to change it while we are here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Or at least I'll keep yelling and fighting for it. <laughs> and we're right there beside you. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough. It's super tough. Um, my heart hurts. I thought I thought many people that are going to get sick that are sick, you know, um, that will die. That got their death sentence today, today got sick and got their death sentence. It's all horrible. It's a horrible situation. And, you know, one thing Andrea and I were talking before we, we jumped on your podcast uh, was the mental health issue. Yes. And it's something that really gets under my skin and a trigger for me because, you know, this constant sort of gaslighting mm-hmm. with mental health, um, has to stop. And oh yes. Continuously, you know, I've been, I, I have my backgrounds in counseling and I know Crystal, you're in psychology. I know about, uh, mental health issues. Mm-hmm. I understand mm-hmm. I've worked with many kids with mental health issues over the years in, in my, uh, in my career. And yeah, there's a lot of kids that do really benefit from being in school. But again, I can't stress enough that the amount of, actually there's text messages that parents have sent me. I even have from my own child that um, uh, in my own phone of the fear and anxiety that they are going through in the building. And now that fear and anxiety is going to be amplified so much more with the variants because kids are not stupid. And I, and if people keep saying, oh, well, you shouldn't be talking about this with your child. I'll tell you, (laughs) we we look at the teenage years, you know, I've got teenagers, they're smart. They have the internet, they use their phones. It's out there. The information is readily available of what's going on in the world. You know, we've taught our kids to be very um, worldly and understand different things. They're not, you know, we're not filtering and censoring what they see. It's on Instagram. It's on Twitter. It's on Facebook. It's everywhere. The kids talk to each other. And they know it. And that's privilege. Experience too, right? Like I don't take my child into the grocery store with me. I'm sure she would like nothing better than to walk around a grocery store with me. But she knows things aren't normal right now. You don't come in the grocery store with me. Well, and even having the option to not tell your child is a privilege. This is where we're back at this societal problem of the people in marginalized communities that are the most likely to end up orphaning their children and having COVID orphans are the same people that don't have the option to worry about that. Right. Like we, we have to push past this point of the parents that are used to their comfort zone and getting what they need and getting what they want out of the system. Sometimes you need to step back and it is not our turn. It is life or death for these families. Uh, Even if it gives my son a mental health hit, that is better than the option of all of those orphans, 
of those yep. marginalized communities getting hit, of our indigenous communities having 40% of their cases be children. It's unacceptable for us to say that it's worth it for our children because we're Absolutely. that privileged. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And it and it's and it's hard for a lot of people to wrap their brain around the fact that there are children who are struggling mentally in school. And that's not being acknowledged. They're only looking at the, if kids are not at school, they're going to be sad and depressed and and all those like elements that come from missing school. Yeah, there is there's no win-win here. There's going to be some kind of payoff. It's a pandemic. Hey, it's it's a pandemic. It's not like we have a playbook for this. You can't we can't all get what we need and want. It's impossible. Not in this world that we're living in right now. It can't happen. So you have to weigh sort of the the risks and the payoffs and the and the stuff that you have to uh, pay to get to be safe. And you know what? It's not a perfect world. Not everyone's going to get what they need. But I think there's solutions to to kind of meet people halfway and keep people as safe as possible and those marginalized communities safer. There's, there are better ways we're not doing it. And there are kids who are suffering, really, really suffering in school. And for those that just go, well, then you have the option to keep your kid home. No, <laughs> no, we don't That's have the privilege the that we're talking about, right? That some people are literally the difference for them is a paycheck of losing their house, of losing their housing, of losing their of groceries for the month, of not being able to feed their children. Like so a lot of people are in that position right now. They were saying like two hundred dollars away from from like being broke. Like Canadians right. on average and have we like don't have paid sick leave. No, there's if no paid you, sick leave. You don't leave. have paid sick leave. What are you supposed to do? Isolate for two weeks as a single mom when I was sixteen. Yeah, two weeks would have killed me. Yeah, it would have killed me. It would have been the difference between being unhoused and not. I know. So the, the, they need to keep, you know, they need to be able to have the kids that need to be in the building, allow them to be there, keep the schools operating, and but allow those, allow those who can stay home and learn from home with no um, fear of losing their spot in the school, with no fear of falling behind and failing, with no shame. In yes, being able online, so everyone's safe. Let us go because that, that's part of it. Is they're threatening parents that they lose their spot right now, and people yeah. need to be clear about that. Is if you're keeping your child home for large amounts of time because you're worried, they threaten you that you're going to lose your spot in that district, which is a hundred percent unacceptable, unethical, just wrong in a pandemic. Just especially right now with the variants, where we know parent aged people are those that are the most hit right now just Absolutely. the mental gymnastics the parent has to do just to calculate whether or not to send their kids in or whether or not you know this is the week that their kid's going to bring home a virus like how awful is this and, for and our community well, right now that's part of to me that's part of the the, the, the mental strain that needs to be included in that like yes there's the there's the challenge of not sending kids to school and then missing out on that part. But what about the parents that are having to make the decision every single morning? Or what about the kids that, like Kathy was saying, are, are doing quite well being home and are struggling at school because of the, the stress, right? Like 
there's it's it's a balance and sometimes that mental strain isn't just oh they're they're not at school and they're missing it out missing out there's a mental strain in sending them too um, so anxiety. The, yeah they're to speak to survey again, which I mentioned in my newsletter, um, which again, I had people send me the questions and screenshots. They are framing it in a way that they are going to misuse the data. And I'm going to throw that out there because I watched them misuse the first one, which I participated in. I gave my data for that. But they have framed these. So uh, it's just like, if the plan doesn't change, how will your finances be impacted? So that they can say if it ends up being good oh well our plan helps people's finances you know like they are going to ascribe things to this data that is not okay and they did it the first time so i'm not participating and i know many other parents that will not participate if you do want to participate in the survey good give your data there's open comment spots where you can tell them what you think even though they haven't tried to allow that some of the questions have open areas where you can add something um, if you really want to, um, or you can come take our survey, which is going to be, again, an open data set. I'm not analyzing it. I'm just going to put the frequencies up, and then we're going to give it to other researchers in this area to take a look at it. Kathy and Andrew, what have the numbers been like in the schools and exposure letters since we've spoken to you, like since after class resumed after spring break? Because I know we haven't touched on that yet. They've been high. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Been Definitely high. High. We've, uh, we can say that since going, uh, not all schools have the same spring break. Um, mm -hmm. So a good chunk of them went back on March the 29th. So totals from March 29th to yesterday, we've had 477 school exposure letters um, that we've posted on our database. We're um, working on our, evening update, uh, taking a breather to talk with you lovely ladies tonight. But um, since we logged off of our database, we're at 18 uh, for this evening so far with an inbox that is full, full, full of messages. So we're going to have a lot of work to do soon. Um, but yeah, they're, they're high. They're in the high, they're in the fifties, mid fifties um, daily. And that is something that uh, we haven't seen such an uptick in cases after a break um, before. So during winter break, so that's what a lot of what really irked me. I, I'm, I think I'm going to have to stop listening to the pressers because my blood pressure can't handle it. Um, but I did listen to the last one, which, uh, I almost broke my phone hurling it across the room. Um, but one of the things that Dr. Bonnie Henry said that, uh, I found quite troubling and, and upsetting was, um, she said, well, uh, I think, uh, a reporter asked, well, what, what's, you know, the increase, what's causing this increase in cases? And she, she, in essence, blames spring break and the kids. And um, that really uh, is, uh, if you look at our data and our, you know, just look at even our timeline of cases, you'll notice over winter break, um, we did not have a surge um, like we're having now from that break where people were ha had the opportunity to gather and do things, even though the rules were in place like they are now. Um, but also we didn't have variants and we didn't have um, someone tell us that they can now gather in groups of 10, um, you know, and the increase was happening before spring 
outbreak started. Let's be clear. It's in the situation reports. This increase was already happening. That's why we've been on this podcast for the last month. We were, we've been seeing it happen. So it's so disingenuous to get up there and say like, oh, this is surprising. Or, oh, like it just happened then. Like these cases were there and we knew that. They opened up. They let more spring break happen and it went nuts. This is what we knew was going to happen. And, and a lot of people are saying on our page, and we've seen the comments that, you know, sp- the, the whole sort of point, putting the dots together of her allowing these groups of 10, how convenient <laughs> to allow something like that right before a break. And then to use that as a, oh, look what happened, <laughs> and not, not really take ownership and kind of use the kids well, as a scapegoat. I, um, again, the the falsity about being surprised about a rise when we increased socialization that's just silly we oh, like yeah, that no. it, it's embarrassing yeah it's it's uh you know we're not stupid it's very it's it's just very condescending and um and upsetting to see and i and i and the theory is well you know kids are and the other point that she made that really fired me up was that kids are safer at school than at home and that mm, they have no intention mm, 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 of changing the school model and the plan because kids are safer there. If that's the case, then maybe they should just live in the building. <laughs> well, let's put up some cots in there. Don't come home. And obviously maybe we should have school all throughout summer then because what's going to happen then when they're let out for summer? I mean, and it, the numbers don't agree. The numbers I agree, as I said, right? 500 mm-hmm. kids were infected between March and September when they were at home or in partially occupied classes and over summer when we had heightened socialization. The numbers speak it the truth. It did not increase until they were back in school and we have had 15,000 kids be impacted. It's just so ridiculously obvious. All of the other data out of Quebec, Ontario, and every other place says it's spreading between parents and school children. It's ridiculous. This is ridiculous that BC somehow would have this magical thing. And if they did, everybody would want it. Exactly. Everybody would have their schools open using Dr. Bonnie Henry's method. If that was the case, why wouldn't they? Yeah. No, agree. 100%. Dr. Bonnie Henry, stop it. That's all. I just keep. That's what I yell at my phone. Stop it. Stop talking. Stop it. <laughs> just stop. Stop, stop the madness. It. It's it's terribly upsetting. It is upsetting, and and the, f- the amount of work that everyone has committed and has put into this is just mind blowing. Because I, this is all done on our own time, unpaid. And, and it's not stopping. That's the thing. Like, Kathy and Andrea is never going to stop getting the data. Crystal's never going to stop getting the data. I'm never going to stop getting the data from the activists and from everyone else saying, hey, we need to put more stuff out to, to inform everyone, right? Like, it's not stopping. And, and this is where Crystal and I have pointed out, hey, you let a viral nuke go off. So now we've now to go do an autopsy, right? We're going to have to do an autopsy of our province because a lot of bad stuff is coming. We're going to have to move into the BC Accountability Project. I spent all last weekend building our new webpage for projectcanary.org. And there's now a poll on there that's asking our audience and people who visit the website, 
what they'd like our next investigation to be. And I'd like to tell you that so far, I've gotten got about 100 votes so far. And everyone's wow. asking, yeah, everyone is that's clicking on there's participating. And they're saying that they'd like us to look into the excess deaths in mm-hmm. BC. I mean, we're not stopping. We can't stop doing what we're doing. It's, it's no, not just stopping. Mm-hmm. So... This is something I'd like to let our audience know what we're doing. Um, Kathy, Andrea, Crystal, and I, we're going to be on the board of directors of projectcanary.org. We are forming a nonprofit, uh, and this is where we continue our community outreach, continue with our data translation, continuing with our education piece, uh, and educating our audience and our community. And um, on that page, there's a donation link if you would like to fund Kathy Andrea and Crystal and our work at Project Canary we would love it because we would like to be able to possibly hire Kathy and Andrea someone to help them with their data right like because it's not stopping I mean from everything we're hearing about not giving out the second doses right not vaccinating the teachers properly, not having a cohesive vaccination plan, which is going to create more variants. We're changing nothing about schools. This is not going to stop. This is not going to stop. So um, we need to move the activism forward as a community. And we need to be able to advocate more and, and bring more people on board. And, and part of that is we, we need to crowd, we need to crowdfund basically for our nonprofit so we can keep doing this. I mean, Kathy and Kathy, you have like another business. You're like, I have, I have two. <laughs> you have two businesses, right? Yeah. I'm busy. 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 And a mom and a wife. Yeah. No, it's, it's been, it's hard. It's consuming. It's consuming. I miss, I miss a lot of things, but I'm, I'm grateful that what we're doing is helpful and uh, we hear from people daily, just very grateful. And I, I want all those people to know that we've seen your messages. We read them and it's what really, really drives Andrea and I to wake up every morning and, and do it all over again. Um, it means a lot. And I think if, if we didn't feel that it, it would, it, it's a lot of time and work and, and we, we understand that we're, we're hearing all the stories. We carry a lot of emotion. Like I, I do, I'll, I'm a very, I cry a lot. Andrew will tell you, like I, I get emotional because these people, um, affect, affect us. I know it affects me greatly. Um, and I, I wish I could, I, what am I, I would love, I, I would love to meet everyone. I really want to give them all hugs so bad. Um, I care about these people. It's not just, I have no interest in recognition. I have no interest in, you know, the spotlight. I I get recognized sometimes now in supermarkets. Uh, (laughs) You're the COVID tracker girl. Um, (laughs) it's quite cool. I have no, for me, it's like, if, if I know that I, my information protects somebody and allows them to make an informed decision, that's what this is about. It's, it's really, um, it's really about just saving lives, protecting lives, caring. I care about these kids. I I picture all these kids, like my own kid. What would I want? 
um, for myself and uh, just want everybody to know we care about them an awful, awful lot. And that's that's why we're still here. Because honestly, if we hadn't created the database, <laughs> thank you to uh, my business partner, Eric. I'm sure he'll be listening to this podcast. We love you. Um, he helped me build this uh this database, we would we would have thrown in the towel. There was no way we could have managed uh, the data the way we were doing it before. We've we've had a lot of great support systems to keep us going. Yeah, but honestly, it was all grassroots, right? It was just people pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and saying, "You know what? I can do this. I'm going to do this." Because uh, honestly, if it wasn't for Crystal translating the data, or for Kathy and Andrea doing collecting the data and creating a data database we would be completely in the dark about what's happening right now. No one would know. Well, Nobody would. And I think, I think going back to some of the stuff I've been saying, because um, I think it's important too, is that we've had so much happen in this year of the pandemic and we've all been challenged by many things. But if we think back to a year ago, I know for many of us when George Floyd died, Everybody was in this time of reflection and wanting to make the world a better place and knowing what we needed to do. And doing what needs to be done isn't always fun. It isn't always comfortable. Getting the thing that you want and getting the thing that you want. And that's what people don't seem to understand is that to do the right thing here, it will be hard. We can do it and we see other people doing this. We see Atlantic Canada doing this. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a time when you choose to take your values and act on them and mm -hmm. no longer just think about it. We are now in the time where you need to act on your values, and that is why we're doing what we're doing, is we have to make change, and each one of us that gets involved helps another person. So even me just being involved in this is for the purpose of long-term plans we have to have people thinking and doing these things so that we can create that change um, so anybody that's out there that has some sort of power use it this is the time we cannot sit back any longer when you sit back in these circumstances you are part of the problem if you are not actively doing things to fight racism to fight sexism to fight these things then you are just letting it go by and if you want to be a part of the conversation and you want to join us in fighting inequity and, and basically fighting for equal workers' rights, because essentially we're forcing all our frontline workers and essential workers to work in biohazardous environments unprotected right now. We're working in a viral war zone, unprotected, unkitted, unarmored. And we are pushing forward with our advocacy for one, pointing out that COVID is airborne, Two, teachers and frontline workers should be prioritized for vaccinations. Three, schools should be moved on to full online learning as a hybrid option. Minimal, minimal, Minister Whiteside, come on. And on top of that, you know, we still have the potential problem of teacher burnouts and healthcare worker burnouts coming up. Like that's not even addressed here. You know, like and we're running out of time on this podcast because we're going to wrap up soon because I know Kathy and Andrea got to go. But if any of you would like to participate in the conversation and join us, email us at projectcanary.org. You'll find our, our emails on the contact pages. Or if you don't have the time to participate in activism or advocacy, then donate. Click on the donate button, fund our research, fund our database fun what we're doing 
and help us because from the way this is looking, I'm going to say that September school is going to be a nightmare. They're planning forth and going full time in September. There's going to be more variants. Even though they're promising everyone could possibly be vaxxed by September, right now the plan in BC is only half vaccination. So that's why I started the hashtag half vaxxed because it's half vaxxed. The plan is also falling apart. It is a half vaxxed plan. They're having delays, like delays left and right. It's just a mess. It's completely non-comprehensive. Everything they told them to do, they did the opposite of it and then tried to like patch, like now they're trying to like put fires out everywhere as we're seeing in Big White and Whistler. It's a complete gong show. And they let the fires happen. Let's be clear. Again, they put those workers in that position. The reason that we have policymakers is because they create the rules that allow us to enact those things you know if if the ski hill isn't shut of course we're going to still have that 10 to 15 percent of people acting in that manner we knew that we knew that nothing magically changed over spring break so to open up the restrictions and not assume that those 10 to 15 weren't going to take it too far was just silly especially given what we've seen over the last 13 months it's absolute insanity so, um, Kathy, Andrea, do you have any final words before we say goodbye to our audience? You, Andrea? What do you want to say, baby? <laughs> no, just thanks for having us on here. I mean, getting the word out and encouraging people to continue sending us their letters and continue supporting in ways that they can, I think, is, is yeah. really important. A lot of people yeah. feel powerless, so providing opportunities to do something is is key and even if you can't give money right like so many people are not in that position which we understand like just reach out to the people around you and make sure they're okay like there are such simple things that we can do to take care of each other right now um, because everybody is going to be struggling for the foreseeable future and a lot more people unfortunately are going to be realizing the impact of covid is that something that they should have already realized at this point yes but a lot of people are going to be starting to deal with grief and things associated with COVID that they really didn't foresee. And it's going to be a hard time for everyone in our society in the next couple months. And I, to just kind of wrap it, wrap it up. I, I want people to know, I think I want the message to be to trust their gut, mm-hmm. um, to take the information we're providing. The reason why we're doing what we're doing is for them to be able to make as, as knowledgeable decisions if they're feeling like they're not safe sending their kid to school, that it's okay to do what they need to do as a parent to keep their kids safe. It's okay. There's no, no one's judging. There's no, um, there's, there's no right or wrong here. You just got to, you know, go with your parent gut, all the dads and all the moms who are struggling. I'm, I'm in that position daily. And I know more than a lot of people, it's, it's a really painful painful decisions to make. It may seem really easy. Oh, it's not safe. Just stay home. There's a lot of variables involved um, with their education, with their mental health, with, I mean, like I, I, I don't go to bed sometimes till three, four in the morning, just thinking about these things. My, my mind is full. I feel you. If, if you are struggling and you're at home isolating with COVID um, because you've been exposed, you have COVID and you need support 
um, to reach out to us. We have a large community, um, about 48,000 people, if, if not more, in our community that I know that are loving and caring, like Andrea and I, and we can rally the troops for you. Um, we really want to, I want this, like, we're, we're a village, and we're here to community. protect community. Yeah, that's what we are. We are a community. Tell us, and if you need something, we will we will do everything we can to help you out. Um, and uh, and we care about you an awful lot. We care about all of you. Um, that's why we're here. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why Andrea's doing what she's doing. So, and thank you, ladies. I mean, safe. I think the four of us forming uh, board directors for ProjectCanary.org is going to be very powerful. I think it's going to be a great platform to advance change and, and definitely raise the discourse about policies that need to change. Also, we need more smart women voices out there. So I'm happy to do it with you. I'm glad. I, I love smart women. I think we should have more that speak out more. Mm-hmm. There's tons of us. There's so many of us. And that's why let's, let's all work together. I'm really honored. Yeah, me too. Ladies, love you all. So with that, our audience, you better uh, get to our update. Yeah, let go the inbox. Yes, we got to let you guys go. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us tonight, and we'll say goodbye to our audience until next time. Stay safe, everyone.